I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. All right, he's come from seemingly out of nowhere to take on John Cena this Sunday at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view only on the WWE Network. But first, he's got to get through talk as Jericho. That's right, I got Kevin Owens right here on the show today, one of the hottest names in the WWE right now. He's sitting down with me to talk all things Owens, and you're going to love some of the stuff he has to say, and you might not like some of the other things he's got to say. Talk is Jericho, baby. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. The pot of thunder and rock and roll is here. The remedy for boredom has arrived. The People's Podcast is here. Let's go for a ride. And it's a Friday. All right. Now, I'm telling you right now, I mean, if that doesn't make you laugh, if you need a laugh, I want to tell you something. Uh, I was sitting around at home the other day, and I decided to do a little exercise to see if I could write a dance song uh, jingle, and I was thinking about Nokia phones, so I wrote a little uh, Nokia phone jingle. I'm going to introduce that as one of the new Talk is Jericho musical interludes. Uh, I'm going to play it for you in just a couple seconds, but first, if you really want another laugh, I want you to go to YouTube and go check out Nothing to Report. It's the new uh, digital series I did for Comedy Central, Ipso Facto Pilot. It's already done over a million views, which is amazing. The more views we get, the more of a chance that Comedy Central will pick up this show as a series or we'll get to do more uh, more of these uh, digital episodes. There's six of them. They're five minutes each. You can you, can, you know you want to have a cup of coffee at, at some uh, coffee place. I was going to say the name, but I can't since they don't advertise this. But but you want to, you want to just kill some time, sit down, watch an episode of Nothing report i guarantee you are going to laugh the night away me and nick mundy michael truly clint gage team tiger awesome we went downtown to chinatown and laid down some laughs for you guys if you haven't seen it yet i'm telling you you are going to love it go check it out it's uh, two neurotic cops sitting in a cop car analyzing their feelings on an endless stakeout okay 
great, great, great stuff. Go check it out. Uh, and you want to check out something else, right? You want to check out uh, Tough Enough? How about that? Starting June 23rd, I will be the host of the show on the USA Network. It's live. We've got great uh, panelists. We've got special guests. We've got great trainers. And if you download the Tough Enough app, you can vote on who should stay and who should go in real time. You're the judges, all right? You're thinking, you're thinking about what, what kind of a show this is. Think American Idol. Think The Voice. Think Dance with the Stars. That's what we got going on here. It's going to be one of the coolest, hippest shows in television. I was shooting some promo for it today, uh, some pictures for it, some ads. It was really, really, really cool stuff. I love the way that it's shaping up, and you are going to love it too. Also, I'm just a couple weeks away from my return to the WWE. I'm doing 19 dates, all live events, no TVs or pay-per-views. It's the Y2J WWE Summer Tour. Starts June 12th in Springfield, Illinois. June 13 in Terre Haute, Indiana. The 20th in Las Vegas, 27 Boston, 28 Reading, Pennsylvania. All the dates, you can find them on WWE.com or you can go, uh, just go online, just Google it. You know, you'll find all that stuff. I had it up on my Instagram. Um, so <laughs> before it got hacked, as you guys know, the hacking, the hacking that I got, uh, I was in a really bad mood. So I felt a whole lot better when I laid down my uh, new uh, dance song. It's called No No Nokia. Here it is. Nokia, Nokia, no, no, Nokia, 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 no, no, Nokia. So happy, so happy, so happy, so happy. Nokia, Nokia, no, no, Nokia. How would you think? I mean, if that doesn't bring a smile to your face, right? I mean, that's some funny stuff. It took me and my uh, friend Ed Aborn, the classic Ed Aborn, about, I don't know, an, uh, 20 minutes to do that. So hopefully we get a chance to play that in all the clubs. Nokia, Nokia, no, no, Nokia. Yeah, exactly. That's the type of uh, songwriting prowess that I bring to you, ladies and gentlemen, every week. So um, I want to talk about something that's a little bit sad. I had a um, a friend of mine pass away this past week. His name was Daniel House. Uh, you guys are familiar with him uh, if you listen to Talk is Jericho because he was actually a guest on Talk is Jericho. If you go uh, on Google and type in Daniel House, Talk is Jericho, you'll find the special episode that we did, I guess, about 11 months ago. It was probably almost exactly 11 months ago. I believe it was uh, June 24th or June 27th, 2014. And I had him on my show because he was living with terminal cancer for the last 30 months. All right. So I met him in December of 2013 when he came to a Fozzie show that we had in Melbourne, Australia. He was from Tasmania. And he uh, came and did our VIP program and we met him and it was great. But we didn't even realize at the time till after the fact, someone emailed our Facebook page and said, Hey, Daniel had a great time. You know, he's only got a couple months left to live. And it was one of his bucket lists to see Fozzie and to meet Chris Jericho. And I was like, he never even said a word about it. So we frantically, uh, you know, tried to track him down through the friend that had posted the message. We got his number and we asked him to come back and he had already gone halfway across the city in a taxi but he turned around and came back and uh we got a chance to really hang out with them and 
I remember we gave him posters and autographs, and uh, I remember Paul e, Paul DeLeo, uh, our, our old bass player, gave him the change out of his pocket, which was great. Hey, I got some change in my pocket. Old Paulie D, we love Paulie D. And then uh, Daniel even asked me to uh, put him in the walls of Jericho, which if I had a dollar for every time somebody asked me that, I'd be uh, well, I'd have you know a thousand bucks or whatever. I don't know. I wouldn't be a rich man, but I'd have some extra cash on me. But Daniel um, asked me to put him in the walls, and I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'll do it. I've only done it for two people. One was for Daniel House. Two was for Ryan McCombs, the lead singer of Soil, who uh, whose son was a big fan of mine. We toured Europe a few years ago, and after three weeks of being together, Ryan was a pretty solid guy. And I said, I don't usually do this for anybody, but I'll do it for you. You know, so because you know, putting someone in the walls of Jericho—that's a no-win situation for me. It's either a laugh or I got to break somebody's back, as Iron Sheik would say. <laughs> Get ready to beep, Stacy. I'll break his fuck back. So uh, I put I put Daniel into the walls, and then um, and that was it. So we kind of kept in touch after. That. I think I got his number. We kept in touch over Twitter. Then finally graduated to getting his number because I was under the assumption that he was going to pass away. Like he was supposed to, he was supposed to you know pass away. I think it was in February or March. They said he only had like three months to live, but he continued on. I do believe there is a plan for all of us. And, you know, in my mind, you know, the plan was for me to get it at my age as opposed to a young child or a newborn coming into the world that hasn't had a chance to experience any life, you know. So, right. it, obviously, it's happened for a reason. And if it be me, helps somebody else, then I'm happy to wear that burden. And I got to know this guy very, very well. And he had the same kind of warped sense of humor that I did and had, you know, really kind of uh, self-effacing character like I have. You know, had no problem taking the piss out of himself. And he just kept beating the odds. Like when he was down and out and they said, this is going to be the end, he would kind of kick out and, and, and move forward. And he continued to go on holiday and he continued to do all these things that he wanted to do. And he just kept getting stronger. And I remember like a couple of times I was like, like, aren't you dead yet? And he was like, you know, no, I'm still going mate. And he kind of almost made a laugh out of it. So one of the things that he wanted to do was, uh, marry his girlfriend. So we brought him to, uh, we had the idea he wanted to propose to her, uh, in the middle of the ring. So we had a show last August in Melbourne in Australia, and he came to the show with his girlfriend and his daughter, Shakia. And after my match, I brought them into the ring, and, and uh, uh, Michaela, who's who's his girlfriend, now his wife, had no idea what was going on, and he proposed to her in the middle of the ring uh, in front of 12,000 fans chanting. You know, when he said, will you marry me? the fans started chanting yes 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 and then she of course she said yes so it was a really cool moment and i was glad to have some part of that to be able to you know make his dream come true of being able to ask his uh his girlfriend to marry him in the center of the ring and um you know and that's actually one of the reasons why i had him on talk is jericho i wanted to talk to somebody who was so close to death and facing death and doing it with such a brave face just because you know that you're on the way out. It doesn't mean that you just have to you know, let these take you. You can you know, still enjoy life and really get there and make the most of it. So um, if you want to check it out, I think it's got you know, like 10,000 views so far on YouTube. Uh, you know, we, uh, Podcast One decided to release it that way rather than releasing it as an actual episode. And um, you know, it's something that I just wanted to do. You know, what would it be like to kind of face this this 
this conclusion and know that sooner or later it's going to get you. And how did he react to it? And he's definitely one of the bravest guys that I've ever met. And um, over the last few months, you know, his Instagram posts were getting fewer and fewer and his texts to me were getting fewer and fewer. And about a week ago, he texted me and said, listen, mate, I just want to let you know that the, I talked to my doctor and he says I've only got, you know, th- three days left, three to five days, and there's no there's no way out this time. So we had a pretty deep conversation, you know, and I, I talked to him about a lot of things. You know, what, what what's it like? to to know that you're going to die like how do you feel and you know a, a lot of stuff you know i asked them do you in not exactly in this uh, in these words but you know would you have rather have died quickly or rather died the way that you did and he was like you know i got a, i got a chance to say goodbye to everybody and that that really meant a lot to to kind of hear even positive very positive guy even all the way to the end he was only 33 years old so he basically had his whole life ahead of him and it was interesting to you know interesting and sad to see how things got stripped away from his job to you know this and that and to finally you know losing his his ability to walk and his sense of humor and you know it was time for him to go and i don't want to look back on it as a sad thing I want to look back on it as, uh, you know, he, he's a guy who really taught me a lot, very brave, and one of the uh, the most, you know, inspirational people I've ever met. You know, even even facing death, he still had a, a smile on his face and a great sense of humor, and uh, even to the very end, I think the last text I ever sent him was, I love you sexy, or something like that. So, uh, Daniel House, great guy, and, uh, you know, let's have a let's have a little moment of silence for old Daniel right now. All right, my man. I will see you on the other side, my brother, and uh, and hopefully I can uh, be as brave as you are when 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 my time comes. So I'm pretty thankful that you know I can get a lot of affairs put in order, and I can do the things that I've always wanted to do. And there's no put this off to tomorrow. It just mm-hmm. makes you really appreciate every day and get out there and um, do as much as you can. So again, still not knowing where I am and how much I can get in, but knowing that, you know, I do have time to get some stuff done that I never thought I'd be able to do, you know, I'm pretty happy with knowing this. It's not as bad as what it might seem. (laughs) All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos, amigas. See, already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words, sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. 
For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. Talk is Jericho. Okay, uh, here at the Performance Center with uh, the hottest new sensation in the WWE, <laughs> Kevin Owens is uh, is with me, man. And uh, first of all, I have never been to this this Performance Center before. Like, this is an amazing place. It's pretty amazing. Even this room we're in right now, called the VO room, which is the voiceover room. It's where they practice commentary and everything. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that this even exists. You know, and right? That's just. A tiny room in this giant facility. Yeah, because it's like there's like seven rings in there, and there's all the video and audio production and the you've cameras. Seen, and you've seen the mirror, I assume. Did you take the room? Where no, we, what's the mirror? So the mirror is that. But they call it the mirror because it's it's basically the room where we practice promos. And there's a camera in there, and uh, you know you you type in your like access code, and uh, you practice your promos. Everything goes onto like into the system, and you walk right out of that room. It's soundproof. Even though it's not really soundproof, like most, <laughs> if you're up there, you can usually hear uh, the guys going over their promos in there. But then you go on the computer and you can watch everything you've done. Like you can watch practice on there, you could watch the promos, you can watch the matches from the live events. Everything is recorded and it all goes into the system. And there's three computers up there, uh, so the mirror is basically the promo promo room we call it. But you're saying you could type in your own code and you yeah, just everybody see your stuff. here, like everybody here, has a code with their name. And uh, you just put it into the computer, and everything you've done since you've got like, ev- wow. ev- yeah, it's really it's pretty crazy system. It's amazing. Like I, I, I know you're you're a few years, well, probably a lot of years younger than me, but I remember you know going to train in basically a, a, a glorified bowling alley. Right. And- I uh, I trained at a flea market myself. <laughs> like we'd be training for wrestling, and you know the people would be shopping and looking at like rugs and like crappy little toys and then there's a wrestling ring with a bunch of guys in there yes why in a flea market well okay so i trained with jacques rougeau Mm -hmm. um and he originally his well my first training was not with jacques rougeau it was this guy called serge audouin he was just a local wrestler and it was in a barn an actual barn right that only lasted about a month i was 14 at the time and the barn collapsed on the ring that was it. <laughs> what do you mean? The roof actually fell yeah, down? Yeah, yeah. Well, nobody was in there at the time, but the, the barn <laughs> was just a really old barn, and it just collapsed one day. So uh, it took me about a year to find another wrestling school, which was Jacques Rougeau's wrestling school. And it was a really – at the time, it was in a really nice gym. Mm-hmm. Like, And we – you know, the, the trainees had access to the gym on days where we had training, and uh, we had to train at a boxing ring, which wasn't a whole lot of fun. Hard, but, hard ring, yeah. right? Yeah. But eventually, he got an actual wrestling ring, and we had our own little room in the gym, and – it was like you know it's uh it's a uh, it's called the pro gym in Montreal. It's one of the biggest gyms there, and it's it was really nice. Mm-hmm. But then I don't know what happened. Jacques, you know, he's kind of a hard person to get along with. So something happened with the owners of the gym, and uh, he ended up uh, moving his wrestling school to a flea market. And uh, you know, it was a nice <laughs> flea market, you know. But uh, it's still, I, I, I got uh, a quick question. So when when the the roof collapsed on uh, Serge Jodouin's yeah. uh, ring, did Very you get nice. did you get a, a, a money any money back? Or uh, no, but he wasn't. He was barely charging us at that <laughs> okay. point. You know, he was actually uh, you know for a guy who really you know uh, was not well known at all. And you know, I think he did maybe a couple. 
enhancement matches back in the day for mm-hmm. WWF, but uh, he was actually a pretty solid uh, wrestler, and he you know he trained me for a month as good as he could, and uh, you know I, I had a pretty good sense of the basics when I started training with Rujo. But uh, yeah, he he didn't charge like I think it was seventy dollars a month, you know. So it was really wasn't bad. So yeah, it, yeah. there was no roof collapse. There was no big down payment, the and then <laughs> hey, the roof collapsed. We need our money back. Man. You know, I, I used to watch. Uh, it was called International Wrestling. Yeah. Out of Montreal, mm-hmm. obviously you're from Montreal or yeah. somewhere in Quebec at yeah. least, right? And there was a whole group of guys there, as there was in Calgary and in Vancouver. But I, there was like Richard the Boss Charlon. Yeah. Neil the Fish Poisson, yeah, yeah. which is one of my favorite names yeah. of all time, right? Name, right? Did you ever, were you old enough for, to see any of that? I didn't really see any of it, but uh, Richard Charlin mm-hmm. actually wrestled on the first few shows that I was on. Because okay. he wrestled for Jacques still when I started. Gotcha. And, uh, and that was actually Jacques' uh, company was called... Uh, International Wrestling 2000. Was, oh, yeah. So, so was, was that a pretty big thing, like in the 80s? Uh, in, yeah, in, from what Montreal? I understand, that was a, yeah, that was like yeah. as big as it got for wrestling uh, back in then. that area. Yeah, like my parent, like my dad would talk about it all the time, you know, and uh, he would go, you know, my dad would, I guess, uh, they, my dad was from uh, this little town called Farnham, and he would when they would come to the arena, he would like put the boards on the ice before you know they set up the ring and all that stuff. So he got to meet a whole bunch of the wrestlers. He, I remember, he told me he once shook Andre the Giant's hand and saw like his old forearm disappear in, in you know Andre's hand and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah, that that international wrestling was the biggest thing going. Because there was also a guy called Floyd Creechman. He was a manager. Yeah, of course. And if you know at all, that I did this promo years ago in WCW, the man of a thousand and four yep. holds, right? Yeah. That was stolen from Floyd Creechman really? because his because uh, Leo the Lion Burke yep. was the man of a thousand holds. Okay. And he had, I think it was Hercules Ayala, who right. he called the man of a thousand. Two holds, okay. and then Milt of Ruskin, who's the announcer, said, "I thought he was the man of a thousand one holds." He goes, "He learned one more." And it was just, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, think I remember. I remember <laughs> but that's where I stole it from. Was Floyd of yeah. Eddie the Brain Creechman? Yeah, Eddie Floyd Creechman. Creechman. Still, people still talk about him to this day. Like, you know, you'll meet somebody in Quebec and say you're a wrestler, even if they don't watch wrestling currently. At some point in their lives, they watch wrestling right. and they remember Eddie Creechman. You know what yeah. I mean? He's a, yeah, he's a, one like, of the big. If you grew up in that area, it's like if you grew up in Calgary, even now, yep. like if you're in your you know teens or twenties, everyone knows who Stu Hart is, of course, or you know uh, Jason the Terrible or guys mm-hmm. like that because they were so important to the city. Yeah. In in the eighties, because there was such a scene, it was yep. like that with international as well, right? Yeah. Did you know how to speak uh, English when you first started wrestling, or did you learn um, on the road? So. I don't think I knew how to speak it as well as I do now, obviously. I uh, I think I remember the first time I realized that I knew how to speak English and I could understand it pro- like completely was I was in fourth grade. And it was solely because I watched wrestling because mm. my first language is French. Uh, my mom's French. My dad's French, even though we have an English name. Um, Swedish name, uh, right? Because right. that's your real last name is Steen, right? Steen, yeah. 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 I think it's actually uh, – the name I think is maybe from the Netherlands or something. I think I remember reading. Yeah, so there's a, like a great hockey player for the Winnipeg Jets named Thomas Steen. Oh yeah, I've heard and about. He was yeah. from Sweden. Oh yeah. maybe, maybe. Right? Have to look some kind of a Nordic name. Right? Yeah. So, um, but you know, I was born into a French family and I spoke French, uh, and then I started watching wrestling and uh, I basically started learning English through Jim Ross. Uh, really? Like, I, I, yeah, I've told this story a few times, but I literally I remember I was in uh, it was at like lunchtime with like the little. Uh, after school activities or whatever and uh i was like in a quiz like a team like where it's trivia you know uh-huh. 
And one of the questions was, obviously the question was being asked in French, but it was, uh, and I was in fourth grade at the time, that's when I realized, they were like, what is elbow in English? But they asked the question in French, so in my head, I, I remember clearly racking my brain and thinking, well, when Vader, and I remember like I had this mental image, when Vader drops an elbow on somebody, Jim Ross says elbow. What's the name in French of elbow? Could. Could? Yeah. C-U-D? C-O-U-D-E. Okay, could. Yeah. So I said, I raised my little hand, I'm like elbow like you got it i was like wrestling's teaching me english <laughs> and then the funniest part is you know i picked it up more and more throughout the years and then i started watching tv in english which just enhanced you know mm -hmm. I, wa i was watching friends because my dad would watch friends so i started watching it with him and i started picking up english from there too i started training uh with rujo's wrestling school and since it was in montreal there was a lot of english speaking guys there you know so i would talk to them and use jim ross like like jim like jim ross sayings you know like what like coming down the aisle and stomping a mud hole and you know <laughs> slobber knocker because i thought they were just part of the english language right, right, right. and they would die every time finally one somebody clued me in like you know those aren't part of the english language right i'm like what do you mean it's like that's just jim ross like doing commentary I'm like oh this hockey game is a real slobber knocker <laughs> yeah so yeah and about? i had a pretty thick accent at that point i'm told i still have uh, i still have one See, but uh, I, back then, like I remember, there's one specific promo uh, from a show I did in 2003. It was my first promo in English, and uh, at that time I thought like, oh, it was really good. And then I watched it back maybe two years ago. Oh my god, it's bad. <laughs> I mean, the see, promo was all right, but the, the see, accent. I, I don't think you do have that that much of an accent. Like, now that I know that you're from Montreal, yeah. I can tell. But if we first met, I think in. Tampa maybe yeah. or something because I'd always heard like Kevin Steen, Kevin Owens, yeah. kill Steen, kill. <laughs> yeah. And then when I met you, I was like, oh, you know, he's like, you're really laid back and friendly guy. And I remember asking you like, are you where are you from? And you're like, I'm yeah. from Montreal. I, like, I couldn't tell, but now I can. But it's not very pronounced. When I'm tired, I will butcher a word out of nowhere mm. in English, and like, and you'll hear it. It's like the French is just trying to like spill out of me. It's really <laughs> yeah. weird. I don't know why. It's just but if when you I'm, know, because my guard down. Sammy Zane is also from Montreal, right? Sure is. Yeah. His his, his accent is not very very prominent either well actually sammy is uh he's like he's syrian and his uh family spoke english uh gotcha. you know, originally he picked up french by just living in quebec mm -hmm. uh, because quebec is uh french uh province yeah but you know montreal uh the city itself is becoming more and more english at you know every year but uh so that's why like he's actually more He's more English than he is French, but he, you know he can gotcha. speak French. He understands French, but uh, that's why you probably can't. But then you know you get a guy there. like you know like, like Maurice or Pat Patterson, yeah, like, yeah. super yeah. thick, super thick accents. So right? Baron Grenier is a pretty yeah. good one too. Yeah, but it's you know when you go to to Quebec, I mean Montreal is a little bit better, but there's a lot of places there that will not speak English. If you drive a half hour out of Montreal yeah. in any direction. You're most like, and you speak English. You're most likely going to get somebody just staring at you blankly. Like, not only is it like. Most people, I think, understand it, but I think it's also a cultural thing where they don't want mm -hmm. to understand. It's a big thing. Like, it's always a bit an issue back home, this French versus English thing. And right. Like, my wife uh, is English, but, you know, she speaks French. She knows French. Half her family's French. She's half French. Is she from? Uh, yeah, she's from okay. Montreal. Okay. But she speaks English more because that's the language she's comfortable with. That's what she was raised with. And when, uh, you know, when she has to speak French or when she has to deal with, no, it does happen where you'll deal with a French person that hears you speak English and just 
doesn't like you because you're speaking English. Mm -hmm. And like, it'll happen to me too, where sometimes I'll, because my wife's English, my kids speak English mostly. I get in like an English, almost like setting, you know, in my head. So when I'm walking around, I'm going to the store, I talk in English, Mm -hmm. even though I can speak French. And I'll, I'll see that. Like I'll see the people answering me in French, even though I'm speaking in English and they're, you know, because they work in Montreal, they should technically know how to speak English. But they refuse. Just refuse, you know? and yeah. And then, I don't know, then it becomes a thing where I just answer them in English anyway, even though I could go the French <laughs> route. But just that, it's a matter of principle at that yeah, point. There's a, there's a little bit of, a, of an attitude, too, that yeah. the French Canadians have, you know? Yeah, but I feel like, like my, I'll have this argument with my wife sometimes, too, is I feel like that argument uh, or that, you know, attitude or whatever, it's also, it's given back, you know? Like, there's English people that look down on French people back mm-hmm. back home, you know what I mean? So it's... You know, there's nobody. It, it, it's all very silly to me. I think you just speak whatever language you want to speak, and let's all get along. You know, but uh, there are those people that like they'll. You know, like I, I've heard many English like people say, uh, or like you know Canadians that don't speak French that'll say, "Oh, like French people are trashy." Well, that's a stereotype, and it's <laughs> right. mostly not true. But you know what I mean. It's just. I think, uh, I think yeah. what, the, what the biggest thing is, uh, from when I was growing up in, in high school and in college, because I went to journalism school, mm-hmm. and it was right one of the years when there was a separatist vote. Yeah. Now the separatist vote for for those who don't know is that Quebec as a province wanted yeah. to be its own country. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And Quebec's right in the middle of Canada. You know, it's or, or, or on on the but there's a whole bunch there's, of provinces. Yeah, that's it. There's there, it, it's not in the middle, but there's provinces it's, to the left, provinces to the right. right. It can't just not be there anymore. Yeah, yeah. that was. Do they still have? Uh, votes, separatist votes? No, the last okay. one was in 1995. That happened in 1980 and then 1995. And I remember the 1995 one because I was mm-hmm. alive at that point. And it was such a... It was close? It was pretty close, yeah. uh, which probably made it hurt even more for the people that were separatists. But it didn't, you know, obviously it didn't separate. But uh, that spurred a lot of the debate and a lot of the conflict. And even to this day, there's so many people that still want to see it get, you know, like become its own uh, country and its own, uh, I don't know. It's yeah, it's just own entity. Compl- it's yeah. Own na- uh, nation. Yeah. It's, it, I guess it's not quite as, uh, as severe as it used to be, but it's still there. Is that because of the, they just want it to be French speaking only yeah, and that's I think, it? I think part of it is, uh, I mean, I'm, I was a kid when that whole you know issue was happening, and I'm not really up you no, know, no, I understand. Up into my I'm politics, just... but I think a lot of it is spurred by the language mm-hmm. issue. But you know, it really wouldn't solve anything because if Quebec became its own country, Montreal would still exist, and Montreal is where the English people like people are. Yeah, you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like it's not going to disappear. Montreal's not going to suddenly become all French. You know, it's right. just the way it is. But uh, it yeah. was such a weird concept. Like I said, like I, I don't want to dwell on it all the day, but I was just thinking, like, okay, so you'd be driving across Canada, cross the border into Quebec, and it'd be like Europe. Yeah, it'd be a very European vibe where you're like, okay, we're in, you know, yeah. Switzerland. Now we're in France. Mm-hmm. Now we're in Belgium. I guess that's what they kind of wanted to do. But it's always made me yeah. laugh. It's like you said, it's like they're still right. Yeah, like the other provinces that are on the other side would have to cross another country <laughs> yeah. to go back to their own country. So we start off talking about the the performance center, and I mean, and and what I mentioned earlier about you being one of the hottest uh, properties in, in wrestling today. I mean, you came and you did what you did. We'll talk about with John Cena and all that yep. sort of stuff. I mean, it was a huge, huge impact. You came in and kind of uh, laid John Cena out a couple times. Uh, Sunday, you have a huge match. Yeah. Your first official match in the WWE against Cena. I mean, tell us a little bit about 
how that came to, to be because you just recently signed here. Yeah, I signed uh, on, I mean, the exact date I'm not too sure of, to be honest. It was July or August. Uh, I was told on May 12th of last year that I was officially being hired. Then, of course, I had to go through the physical and that entire process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I signed the contract. I moved here. I think I moved to Florida on August 10th. Where were you living before that? Uh, in Montreal. Oh, so you're yeah. still in Canada. Yeah. Okay. I moved here uh, from Montreal on August uh, 10, I want to say. And that was crazy on its – just the whole process was really crazy on its own because uh, – so, uh, like, I was living in Montreal – and I came here for a week or a couple of days in July because they knew I was going to get hired. I came to see a, a TV taping, like an NXT TV taping. Because you were working at main events pretty much around the world. I mean, you were, yeah. I mean, everywhere I was, I was wrestling at. Yeah. I, was, I was, you know, I can say that you were working main events everywhere yeah. around the world. It's okay yeah. if I say it. All right. So, uh, so, so, <laughs> so, how did you finally end up getting signed here? Was this something you've been working on for a while, or was it finally just time to come um, to WWE? So, I had always wanted to be here. Gotcha. But I had never had any contact with them. Um, like, I started wrestling. My first match was on my 16th birthday in 2000. Wow. <laughs> and I never had any contact at all with WWE until I uh, saw William Regal at a PWG show out in California. And that was, uh, I think, August 31st of 20... You're good uh, with dates. Yeah, 2013. <laughs> I, you know what it is is because... For years in my brain, uh, like my schedule would go weekend to weekend, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would like, okay, I know that on that date I have a Ring of Honor show, and then that the following weekend's PWG. So that's how I remember okay. dates. Yeah. So uh, it was August like thirty first, I think, of twenty thirteen, and I met. Uh, I I knew like a week before that William Regal was coming to the to PWG scout? show. I guess you yeah. know, it must have been why uh, he was coming. You know, to scout. So in my head, I was like, this is probably the one chance I have. To, if I'm ever going to make it there. Right. Because at that point, they already signed Sami Zayn. And, you know, I, I felt like things were kind of changing with the way, maybe the outlook that they had on who to sign and who to, you know what I mean? Um, what yeah, their future you, was. You don't have the classic pro wrestling body. I definitely don't. Neither yeah. does Sami. Yeah, To exactly. be honest, right? So I felt like that was a big, uh, and, you know, even, you know, at that point, Daniel Bryan was very successful. Yeah. And he's another example of guys That's that right. technically aren't typical WWE superstars at, but you know he was being very successful, so I felt I felt like there was a change coming. So I figured I figured if I have one shot, William Regal is going to be there, and this is it, you know. So I went in with that mindset, and uh, I wrestled this guy called Johnny Gargano, uh, another very talented yep. wrestler, and we had a pretty good match. And uh, you know, when I walked to the back, uh, I had never met Regal before that day, and uh, you know, I didn't want to crowd him or anything. All I said was, "Do you have any advice at all for me?" And he was very kind. He, you know, gave us what he thought of the match, and he was very, pos- very positive, which was very refreshing because, you know, the style in PWG was pretty crash and burn. You know, go, kind of like the indie, st- yeah, exactly. for whatever that means. But a lot of, but it is, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you know, for to have somebody like him who's been all, you know, the career he's had, to be open minded enough to say, you know, you ha- you guys have the crowd going crazy, and in the end, that is what matters, you know, because uh, I've had you know wrestling veterans see matches and you know put what we do down just because oh, really? it's not their cup of tea at know? ring of honor or? yeah well one specific incident uh in ring of honor uh I, i'll name his name i really don't care uh like al snow mm-hmm. came to a show and uh, at that point he worked for uh impact TNA. or tna or whatever and he i think he still does and he was uh he watched the whole show but he was in the crowd and afterwards i heard that amongst the fans that had paid their ticket to see the show 
he put down every single match. While he was in the crowd? While he was in the crowd. The fans <laughs> could hear him saying, they're not doing this right. Why are they doing that? This makes no sense. This and that. But every match had the crowd rocking. And it was a Ring of Honor show. And every fan left satisfied. But he couldn't open his mind up enough to see that, yeah, maybe it's not the way he would do it. But there is a way. You know what I mean? It would be like going to a New Japan show or Arena Mexico and going, oh, that's not good. That's not good. You work to the crowd that is in the building. Right. right, exactly. So if you're at a PWG show, that's the style, and you know it. It's like yeah. ECW. Al, you know, right? You know, anything that Al did in ECW, I bet you made no sense yeah. if you come to WWE and watch. <laughs> well, but anyway. that's what entertains the crowd. But, yeah. yeah. So you know, this is uh, it's not a knock on Al Snow or no, anything. No, I get it. It's just, I get it. it was it was a fact. Sure, that's what he did, and I'm sure he. You know, if I'm sure if somebody asked him about it, he would say, "Yeah, I agree." Mm-hmm. But uh, William Regal was so positive about everything. Uh, it was really nice, you know, and. William Regal was someone I always looked up to. So for him to be positive about my work right away was just a really just cool thing. But then a couple of days later, I got a message from uh, somebody who worked at the Performance Center saying William Regal asked us to reach out to you about uh, you coming in for a tryout. And I knew it. I knew it. I was like, that's it. It's going to happen now. I, it's got to happen. How did you feel about that, a tryout, even though you're uh, Kevin Steen? I had no problem with it. Cool. Because you know why? Because uh, I knew that, again, even though... I'd shown enough to William Regal uh, that he would be willing to, you know, try to get me in for a tryout. I'm still not the typical guy, mm-hmm. you know, so I do have something to prove. And uh, I was more than happy to do that. And then um, the tryout actually took a while to even get scheduled because this was, like I said, in August or September. Uh, there was an upcoming tryout in December, but uh, Ring of Honor had their big show final battle that same weekend. And originally they were trying to get me in for that tryout, but that would have meant that I would have had to miss Ring of Honor's final battle. I was under contract with them, so that got nixed. But Ring of Honor was uh, kind enough to say, you know, the next one, uh, regardless of whether or not we have shows, you can go to that one. Uh, Because they knew that's what I wanted. Yeah. You know, I'd worked there long enough, and uh, they were gracious enough to let me go to the tryout, even though I was under contract. And uh, yeah, I had my tryout in March. And um, who did you who did you work in the tryout, or what did you have to do? So the tryout is very. Uh, it was hard. It's physically demanding, and you know, very. Uh, they test your resilience and your heart. I think that's the main thing. Is they want to see if you want it as bad as you say you do. So uh, for, it was a three day tryout. We actually ended up. I say we because there's a couple of Ring of Honor guys at that same tryout. We only ended up doing two days because. Ring of Honor kind of got into a bit of an agreement with WWE where they did have a show that weekend, but uh, WWE let us go to the show. So we, uh, the last day we didn't do, but the last day was promos and stuff like that. So we got through the part, like the physical part of it. A lot of drills and stuff? A lot of drills. Uh, a lot of drills in the ring, a lot of drills, like even uh, working out in the gym with the trainer here. Uh, his nickname's Witch. Um, you know, I... <laughs> shockingly enough had never really been in the gym i mean i had been in the gym but i didn't work out regularly and like he was doing like uh, th- these exercises like clean and press and and just these exercises i've never seen before and in my head i was like i will never be able to do that but i did I managed so, you, to- so you're not a gym guy because you're a big dude i mean you you, you know you, you got some meat on you but you got big arms yeah. and big shoulders and i mean i'm not i'm not like i've worked out for the last whatever 15 years but not you know f- five times a week religiously gotcha. you know what i mean yeah and uh i never 
I guess I never looked into it enough to know really what I'm doing. I know that if I lift these heavy things, eventually muscles will appear. <laughs> so I would kind of do that, you know. But I didn't have a. T- I don't have a technique to it. I don't have a science to it. I never had a, a real. I like. I guess all it comes down to is I never really applied myself, mm-hmm. which uh, you know that a lot of people can say what they want about that. So when I got here and I saw him, you know, like this is this is what you guys are gonna do, and he had this little circuit, you know. And it was the first thing in the morning of the second day. So we went through the entire like in-ring training on the first day. And uh, we were so sore and just beat up. And not from making – like they weren't making us bump left and right here. It was just push-ups, sit-ups, squats, rolls, all this stuff. Lots of repetitions. Yeah. yeah. And it was for hours. Um, because, again, they're just trying to see if you want it as bad as you do, as you say you do. And uh, thankfully, I had been to uh, – one of my buddies back home at a, has a pretty good uh, wrestling camp. Uh, tra- like a training school. His name's Drew Onyx, and he runs the Torture Chamber, is what he calls it. Oh, yeah. And it's back in Montreal. And uh, Drew, I, I mean, I'm glad I get to talk about it here. He, If it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have gotten through the physical part of this tryout. Because all I did was I went there for a month before the tryout, and uh, I did the exact same thing he made his trainees do. I would do rolls. I would do very basic training. But it, a lot of it was conditioning and the same kind of stuff that we they did at the tryout because he had been part – like he had done a tryout before. Did Finn Balor – I think he mentioned him on, on yeah, the show he, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He might have because they uh, they wrestled in Ireland together and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I think they he mentioned before. Yeah. yeah, Drew's from Montreal and, you know, he gotcha. uh, yeah he, he's been around a little bit. So – uh, yeah, I commend Drew for helping me because if it wasn't for him, I probably would have made it through the physical part of it. That was probably the best thing I did was go to the torture chamber and you know just go through the exact same training that he would put his trainees through because his training is all about getting them ready for when they go outside. Whether it's you know uh, he he he's he's done New Japan training camp, so he imp- implements parts of like what they do in their training camp, so that if anybody from his school ever goes there, they kind of know how to handle themselves. And he's done the WWE tryout, so he uses that as well. So when I got here, I was pretty prepared, and it helped me obviously get through the uh, grueling like physical training. And it wasn't easy by any means, but I got through it. I didn't quit, which I think is a big part of it. Uh, I think a lot of people expected me to quit, and I didn't. And then uh, and I why do you say that? Because a little bit of a prejudice because you're a big guy. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I'm not, you know, I, I've got a bit of stomach going, and I'm not ripped. I'm not, you know, I, I don't look like I'd be a cardio machine. Uh, but I got through everything. And um, now was was Bill Demott train? Uh, yeah, because yeah. Bill's built a lot like you. He's a little yeah. bit bigger in the arms, but yeah. he's got the same kind of yeah. body shape. So mm-hmm. I bet you when he sees a guy like you and you're and you're doing all the stuff, he's probably not surprised. I don't know if he was surprised, but Bill. You know, a lot a lot has been said about Bill and mm-hmm. his training and this and that, but uh, Bill wasn't easy on anybody, especially during tryouts. But I don't think he was harder on anyone either. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? He was pretty even across the board. Uh, he made sure that to weed out the people that didn't really want to be here. And I personally, at that tryout camp and uh, throughout his time here, I never saw him, you know, be... Uh, uh, Abusive? Not abusive. I definitely never saw him be abusive, but I never saw him be harder on someone gotcha. than others. You know what I mean? He was yeah. pretty even across the board. He's given everyone a, f- a free yeah. shot to prove themselves. Yeah, I right. think so. And, uh, you know, I think he did have throughout the years, maybe he did start, you know, having opinions about people here that, you know what I mean? He, that, you know, you right. can't help but form opinions. And uh, I don't know if that ever hindered his work here, but as far as I'm concerned, from the tryout, to when I came here and I signed, to the time he left, uh, he was always 
pretty straightforward with me and he didn't give me any like you would think maybe because oh i'm a bigger guy he's a bigger guy maybe he'll <laughs> yeah. like take it easy yeah. he definitely did not do that no you free know pass. no <laughs> and then uh so he ran the camp like matt bloom was there as well and uh, I remember actually Alex Wright was also here wow. for it. Yeah, he, I guess he was like in the camp. No, he was train? just like a guest trainer that oh, week. Okay. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was really funny too because I don't know why, but like the last person I expected to see here was maybe Alex Wright, you know. And I was it, like in the ring doing sit ups and push ups, and I'm trying to just not die. And uh, for some reason, he thought that I wasn't breathing right, and all he would tell me is breathe. Breathe, Kevin. Breathe in his accent. It was really hard to concentrate. Anyway, so that made the tryout pretty neat. Uh, so uh, on the second day of the tryout, I had a match with, uh, I believe his name is Zane Dawson. He's another bigger guy from the Indies that was here for the tryout. And uh, we had the match. And uh, then they asked me to cut a promo on the spot. I did. And I think once I finished the promo, I, I, I think I knew I was in. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, it was the promo. Like, the match went okay. But I think the promo is what sold them on me. And then uh, it took like two months to get word back because, you know, right after the camp was WrestleMania season and then just, you know, it just takes a while. So those two months were very long. Uh, but finally, like I said, May 12, they called me. They confirmed everything. And I moved here in August of, uh, yeah, like August 10. August. My son started school like August 18. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Talk is hockey. Talk is Jericho. So you mentioned uh, here with Kevin Owens, and you mentioned quickly. I know you said you got down here uh, that you felt you really did good on your promo. Yeah. You, from what I've watched of you, you're a really good promo guy. Thank you. You have good presence. Very, um, it's real. What you say, I believe it. Yeah. Is that something you've always been good at? Did you have to, I mean, we mentioned um, earlier that your accent was bad, but the promo <laughs> was good. But I think I was always pretty good with words. Even when I was a kid at school, for example, I remember. Even in writing, like I would write, we'd write stories for whatever, like essays and stuff like that. And I think I was at a pretty good way with words, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, also went with the way I spoke. So I think I was always good at, at speaking in general, but um, I, I, I don't know exactly when I, I, I felt like I, I found my voice as far as promos are concerned. I remember one incident um I met Steve Austin at an airport in 2005. I talked about this on his podcast, and uh, I like I just I was a big Steve Austin fan at that point. I know it's very cliche to say, but probably the biggest Steve Austin fan on the planet at that point. And I was on my way to a show with Sami Zayn, a show in California, PWG once again, and we were on a layover in Texas, and he happened to be on our flight. And uh, you know, I was like, we have to go talk to him. We have to. So I went up to him and we talked a bit. He was very nice. And right before he headed off, uh, you know, right before he boarded the flight, because you know he was on first in first class, <laughs> so he, he got the priority boarding. I just asked, like, do you have any advice at all? Just anything? And he said, just just run your mouth. Just never never stop running your mouth. Just learn how to talk. And I took that to heart from that moment on. And like he's even, saying, run your mouth on on camera, on camera, in the ring, just talk. 
he actually said that that plancha shit will kill you, which I thought was really funny. Uh, anyway, so I took the you know never stop talking and just run your mouth to very much to heart. Even that like that very weekend at the PWG show, I, I started implementing just talking more and just being more vocal. And I, I think that's when it all started. But as far as like good promos, uh, I really can't pinpoint when it happened. Uh, you just but, knew that it was important to, yeah, to, to get. Yes, and I feel you know what you said earlier about me being genuine i think that's a big part of my appeal is that's really what i try to be i just try to be genuine i don't uh you know like i'll never try to put on a voice and try to sound intimidating or scary because that's i don't think that would work for me I, I, some guys pull it off really well but nobody like none of the guys that ever cap captured my imagination and my attention were like that the guys that always captured my attention on promos were the guys that sounded genuine. So who, I've always who been, were those guys? Well, like Steve Austin was one mm -hmm. of them, and uh, I was I always thought Shawn Michaels was very like very good. Shawn never put on a, a voice. That's that a good said, point. he yeah. spoke from the heart. Yeah, you know, and yeah. uh, you believed what he was exactly. saying. exactly. Right? And you know, Mick Foley also. Yeah, uh, you know, so guys like that. Uh, I I really loved Steve Carino back in ECW. Uh, I felt I felt like he had the same kind of thing going, even though he was, you know, clearly playing like a despicable character. Everything he said sounded so genuine. Uh, you know, I love Steve, and I don't know how much that says about him <laughs> as a person. <laughs> but uh, I feel that he's a little bit underrated because he came in right on the cusp of ECW yeah. starting to go downhill. Yeah, yeah. So I like I've never seen. I shouldn't say never. I haven't seen a lot of his work. I just mm -hmm. know he's good from other people saying that, but he never got the, the credit. He yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, I, I, I worked with Steve for so long, and he, he, you know, in a lot of ways he was my mentor for a long time. I, I, I first wrestled him in, like, 2004, uh, but even before then I was a huge Steve Carino fan. Like, when I was younger, my favorite wrestlers were Shawn Michaels, Steve Austin, Owen Hart, and Steve Carino, even though he never had, just like you said, like, he never had the WWF platform or, or that. Right. But Those other I, three are kind of at one yeah, level, he's on the exactly, other. Exactly, yeah. but uh, yeah, I feel like he never got his fair shake, that's true. Uh, and, you know, even to this day, now he's a commentator for Ring of Honor, and he's great. Right. He's good. Like, people really enjoy him. And, he, you know, he was, he, he managed me for, for a while. We, we feuded with each other as a, as partners against each other as, as uh, you know, uh, opponents and just, I don't know. He's, he's done so much for me. Uh, uh, but yeah, I was always a big, you know, fan what's of interesting his. is that of your, uh, favorite, it takes Steve Korean out of the equation, your favorite three, two of those are my favorite three. Yeah. Cause mine were always Sean Owen and steamboat. Okay. But a lot of people, um, I mean, I'm not saying this in a bad way, but a lot of people talk like Owen Hart, but it's very rare that people say Owen is one of my favorites. And it's yeah. interesting that you said it. Tell me why. Let's talk about Owen for a bit. Well, uh, so Owen, to me, I always, uh, first of all, I I'll tell a little background. I, I wasn't a Bret Hart guy. I was a Shawn Michaels guy. Mm -hmm. From the moment I started watching wrestling, and the first tape I ever watched was WrestleMania 11. Uh, and uh, that's the tape that made me want to become a wrestler. My dad rented it, you know, at the video store, the VHS. And, Who was uh, that? What, what was that? So, Brett wrestled Bob Backlund in a I quit match or submission right. match. And uh, you know, I was a kid back then. I I, I really didn't. You think, ate it up. I yeah. didn't think that match at all. <laughs> yeah. But then I saw Shawn Michaels versus Diesel. Oh, that's the one. And you know, I remember Shawn Michaels like flying off the top to the floor. And that was it for me. I was like, I got to be a wrestler. Didn't they and also use Mad Dog's leg in that match? No, that, that was uh, okay. a, 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 in your house like a year gotcha, later. But, yeah. Gotcha. But um, 
so that started the whole, I'm a Sean guy, not a Brett guy. But then because I, I really loved it, I started going back to the video store and renting all the tapes that I could. So I rented the Royal Rumble from like two months before that WrestleMania. So I watched the Royal Rumble after WrestleMania. So I'm already partial to Shawn Michaels. I'm not so hot on Bret Hart because I didn't, you know, I didn't really like his match at WrestleMania. And at, at that Royal Rumble, it's Brett versus Diesel for the, for the, for the title. And uh, at some point in the match... Brett grabs Diesel's legs, pulls him through so that, you know, his legs, like the, the post is between his legs. And he wraps uh, a camera cable around his feet. And I got, I, I was uh, really pissed because he was cheating. <laughs> like, I was outraged. And then Owen Hart came out of nowhere and smacked Brett and started beating him up. And that's that was it for wow, me. Wow, that's I'm it, I'm an huh? Owen Hart guy now because he's keeping <laughs> his brother from cheating. And I think a lot of it went along, too, because uh, I had an older brother. I have an older brother. He's 10 years older than me. And, uh, you know, we'd fight a lot when we were kids. Uh, and, uh, so you empathize with Owen because really you're probably did. always in the older brother's shadow. I really shadow. did, yeah. Wow. And back then, too, we, my, my brother was a fantastic hockey player. Uh-huh. Me not so much. So <laughs> you like, make a great goalie. Oh <laughs> uh, God, uh, if that. Uh, but yeah, putting all the pads and all that stuff was too much. So I just stayed uh, uh, forward, and I sucked. But my brother was fantastic, so I had that whole shadow thing. You know, yeah, like, yeah. I was like, man, I co- I, co- I, co- I completely get where Owen Hart's coming from. <laughs> and then I just thought he was so entertaining. You know, the yeah, King yeah. of Hearts, his music. I love this theme. What music. was his music again? The King of Hearts theme. Oh. The, I, I can't even. Yeah, yeah, I, can't, yeah. I couldn't. Recreate I just remember it enough that. is enough, and it's time. For change, yeah, that was the later one, after, one yeah, right, yeah. But the, the one before that. Uh, so I was always a big Owen Hart guy, I always thought he was so entertaining. Uh, and you know, I I was so against Brett that almost automatically anybody who was feuding with Brett, hey, he's my guy, <laughs> he's your guy. I'm all set. <laughs> yeah. So that's why, like, if you look, Sean, Owen, and Steve Austin, you know, who's Brett was his first big major, you know, right? Yeah, line. Sean yeah. and Owen as well, right? Yeah, so yeah. It, it, uh, that's one of the reasons. If if there was like a top ten reasons as to why I left WCW to come to WWE, there was plenty of them. But I would say number six or seven was that maybe I'll get the chance to wrestle with Owen Hart. Yeah, and then he passed away mm-hmm. before I got here. But that was literally one of the reasons. Like, okay, I want to get out. I got this. I got this. I got this. Yeah. I got wrestle Owen Hart. I got that. I had that. Yeah. So I had the same type of. Uh, you got to meet him, right? You you went I, on the I, flight with him. I, I remember got, reading about. Yeah, yeah I, was, I I came in Owen uh, from Stampede because I was watching him. Uh, I was a big Stampede wrestling fan, yeah. and I saw this guy and they're playing brian adams hearts on fire <laughs> and they did a highlight clip of him and he was yeah. doing you know he jumped to the top rope land on his ass do yeah. a flip over you know all the owen hart yeah. stuff so that's how i became a big fan of his but uh yeah i met him on a plane from calgary to la i was going to japan he was going to a pay-per-view okay and he was really tired but he talked to me for the whole three-hour flight and it was that's the awesome. only time we ever got to hang out but right. he gave me some advice that i still live this day something little but he's like uh he goes don't wait too long to get to the airport he Mm -hmm. said leave your house a half hour early get there have a coffee relax he said if you're always like five minutes late he said it'll drive you nuts and he's right all the traveling i've done since then over the last 18 years i always try and get there a few minutes early and the times i don't it 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 freaks you out that's how i do things i'm five minutes late all the time yeah and i know exactly the terrible right yeah i've got to catch this plane and like oh my gosh if i miss this plane i'm gonna miss the match or a lot of it for me is though that i i always left especially on the independent scene like now obviously it's different because this is wwe and i really don't want to miss my flight (laughs) but like on the independent scene it was just more about like literally squeezing every minute i could out of like being with my kids and my wife you know 
But yeah, that makes sense. I, I definitely should try to implement that. Should, my, yeah, uh, have, get there early and have a coffee. That was right. Owen's advice. So, um, and you mentioned you squeezing every minute with your kids. So you moved down with your whole family. Yeah. And kind of taking a little bit of a chance. Yeah. Because nothing's really guaranteed. No, when they hired me, in fact, I uh, I don't even know if I'm really supposed to say this, but uh, they. Uh, it's my show. You can say what yeah, you want. Yeah. They, they told me we want to hire you, but uh, we were told to tell you that you shouldn't get your hopes up in terms of main roster and Raw and SmackDown or even NXT television. You'll be giving a fair chance just like everyone else, but, you know, you're you're not really the typical... Well, let's, so, let's, let's be honest. Vince McMahon has a certain look that he likes. I'm not that look. Yeah. You're not that look. Yeah. Mick Foley's not the look. You know what I mean? So you have to work a little harder, but yeah. there is a little bit of a prejudice there, I think. I mean, it, it was just what they told me. I think also part of it, I think they were doing it so that I would have my expectations, uh, you know, where they needed to be. I, I think they did it because I was coming out of Ring of Honor and where I was, you know, like you said, I was doing, I was in the main events and you're a champion, former yeah. champion, and yeah. I was doing well financially on the independent scene. So, I think basically they were just trying to like make sure that I had, you know, my head on straight. And uh, all I said to that was, "Well, I look forward to the challenge," and you know, I think I've I've been doing pretty well. So, but yeah, when it was a chance, mm-hmm. and they made sure they made sure that I knew it, I was taking a chance, which I kind of appreciate, you know, because that statement could have made me go. Hmm. Right, maybe, maybe I shouldn't do this because it wasn't just me coming here; it was my entire family. Family, yeah. Know? And I'm sure you're taking a pay cut to come down here. Yeah, at first, you know, yeah, I was. Thing, right? Yeah. So they tell you that, and that's. I wonder if it was almost a gut check, like to see, like, what, it might have know, been. What's your attitude? What it might have been, but I, uh, uh, I was talking to Canyon Seaman. He's the one who told me that, and uh, I said, uh, you know, I, I'm, I look forward to the challenge, and he said, that's exactly what I thought you would say, and that was so it. So how, how did you? respond to that challenge like you get here and once again you're coming from main events of all these places and now you're taking roles in a you know uh, doing roles in a ring with a bunch of other rookies yeah i didn't mind that at all because i think part of it was also because i had, i went to training with uh, drew onyx's torture chamber for a month before you know had the tryout i started enjoying that part of it you know i enjoyed because uh, you know from 2005 on to you know 2014 i really had never been in a ring to train I was just wrestling every weekend, but I I would never go in the ring and do the drills and do the rolls and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So I started enjoying that part of it again and just kind of going back to the basics a little. So I enjoyed the training and also having access to all the trainers that are here, the coaches, was really cool. But like the first month, so me, Fergal Devitt, and Kenta, you know, Finn Balor and Hideo Itami all signed at the same time. What and for people that know, like that is an amazing. That's like picking up three of the biggest free agents in the world. Yeah, it was a big move. Yeah, uh, and for that first month, we all signed around the same time, and we all came in around the same time. Like they might have been maybe a week before me or two weeks before me. But when I came here, the rule was you sit out and watch beginner beginner training for a full month, no matter who you are. Hmm. So at one point, we had me, Fergal, and Kenta. Me, who, you know, for the better part of two years, had, had I wouldn't say carried ROH on my back, but certainly the, had my been fair a, share. a big focus. Same thing with Fergal in New Japan and same thing with Kenta for Noah. Like, three real wrestling companies who had made money and we were sitting, <laughs> watching, like, uh, I don't know. I, like, do Johnny Hollywood. Yeah, like, guys who had never been in the ring before just doing roles and headstand bumps and stuff like that. And... You know, 
I actually enjoyed that part of it, though, because I felt like first it's given my body a bit of a rest that it's never had before. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I liked – Robbie Brookside was running beginner training at that point, and I, I really liked seeing how he trained people. Because hmm. Robbie, I never had access to somebody like Robbie before sure. that had that path, you know. So that was cool. But I was really itching to get in the ring, obviously. And um, they kind of cut short the month. Bill eventually came up to me and said, all right, you're going to get in the ring next week. I think at, at that point I was at like three weeks, you mm-hmm. know. And Fergal and Kent had already started in the ring that same week. So I was sitting there by myself for the, <laughs> you know, for the like a week. Uh, but it, it felt really good to get back in the ring. And, yeah, like the roles and all that stuff, I, I really didn't have a problem with it. So, so when you had your debut match or debut appearance, because NXT fans are a lot like – I use ECW because that's yeah. I, I don't know Ring of Honor. I'm sure they're the same. Yeah. They're very knowledgeable fans. Yes. And when you came out, I remember there was a big brouhaha. It was a big deal. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that actually took a few months, you know, because I started uh, August 25th at Performance Center, and my first match was December 11th. So for the first few months, uh, you know, I sat out training, and then I started training. But I would go to the shows, the live events. I would help set up the ring, or some would tell you that I pretended to help set up the ring and didn't really do that much uh, scott dawson for one would definitely tell you that fellow nxt competitor i just can't figure out how to put this screw in there how do you I, do this i was really i was really good at pulling the apron up and making sure the apron was straight that was me and tyler breeze's role anyway that's whatever. when you go full french though it's like i don't understand i can't understand the english well sylvester lafour was already doing that so i couldn't steal his thing anyway so we'd help set up the room and then i'd sit and watch the entire show on the monitor. Wow. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I, 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 the show would end. I, I would help uh, tear down the, the room, which I was a lot better at than setting stuff up. It's easy Tearing to down, it down, I'm all about, yeah. yeah. And then well, why do you uh, think I did that, that was? for a couple months. Do you think months. they wanted to just kind of weed out any guys that might have ego or? Yeah, maybe. Or, you know, it was just the way things were done. And nobody's special here. Like, they would say that, uh, you know, what you've done before doesn't matter. Gotcha. I, uh. I think that kind of changed in a way, the perception of that, because now I think like what you've done before and where you've been does help, but it's still, you know, you still have to play I, by the rules and you still have to get along and you still have to do, you know, like, cause when I got here, uh, you know, there are guys that have been here for three, four years that are still setting up the ring and they're doing it because that's the way it's done. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, it doesn't matter that I've been here for like I've been doing this for fifteen years. I'm still here. Yeah. I'm new, and you know what I mean. Like you know, I will say that even uh, when you come out on Raw, for example, because Vince doesn't watch independent wrestling. Yeah. He might know our name. Like for all of us, you're talking about me or Eddie Guerrero or Chris mm-hmm. Benoit or, or you know, anybody, Mick Foley. Until you come through this curtain, doesn't matter what you've done before that. Yeah, you you put that in your book too. I did. Remember? That's yeah, right. That's, you're starting from scratch. Yeah, that's you know, uh when I knew I, I think I messaged you about this. You did. Yeah, I when I knew I was coming here, I read your first two books over again. And uh they were actually a great help into almost like what like what to expect in a way, but also just like to get me mentally prepared for the attitude that I I should have. You know what I mean? Right. Because uh you know, like you have been all over the world and you know, I'm not going to say that my career is anything like yours, but it was on a smaller scale. Like I, I, I had been all over the world too, and you know what I mean. I had a good thing going before I came here. Yeah. So it, it helped me get in a mindset that I needed to be. I think that's cool to hear. Yeah. I remember you DM me about yeah. that. And you asked me the same thing. Is I think I originally advice? sent out a tweet uh, saying like, "When's the third book coming out?" And then you answered me, and we ended up like DMing yeah. a couple times. Yeah. Because you asked me, "Do you have any advice?" Did you ask me that? I did. What I did, did I say to you? 
Uh, Quit. You, <laughs> you actually told me uh, you got there for a reason, so just be yourself. And you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm going to give you credit again. When I first got here, I didn't know if I should be who I am. Mm-hmm. Like because to me, it felt like it's a different thing. Like I remember, you know, for years I wrestled in the cutoff shirt and the, the shorts. But then I got here and I had singlets made mm-hmm. because I, I had wrestled with singlets on for a little while. Like before without shirt, without shorts and Ring of Honor, wrestle in a singlet. But I never felt like that was me. Mm. You know, I did it for a couple of years and it was fine. But I never felt, felt like it was me. And I really started taking off in Ring of Honor when I came back in like street fight gear. You know what I mean? Like basically that was my mindset. Like, no, nah, I'm, I'm not a wrestler. I'm here to fight, stuff right. like that. And then uh, I remember a specific, like, I, I was really new at the Performance Center at that point, And they were like taking these like pictures uh, in the main ring for like people that were on TV just like to use for like uh, Titan Trons and, you know, just B-roll, stuff like that. Uh, but I guess because they had plans to put me on TV eventually, I was included in the bunch. And I remember thinking, I don't have any gear. I don't even know what my name's going to be. I don't know what I'm going to be. So I brought my little singlets and I put my little singlets on in the locker room and I looked in the mirror. I'm like, I look ridiculous. <laughs> and I remember like, I remember you and among other people telling me, just be who you are. And I remember uh, Enzo. Uh, Enzo Amore, you mm-hmm. might be familiar with him, an NXT, NXT guy here. I, you know, he was one of the first guys to you know, welcome me here, and and you know, be he was pretty happy that I was here because uh, he was looking forward to like sharing a locker room with me. He was up there too with me, getting ready to take the pictures, and I looked at him I'm like ah, I look ridiculous. He's like, bro, just cut the sleeves off that Guns and Roses shirt, put your shorts on, go down there. Like, all right, I'm doing it. So I did it. I went down there I, because I had a Guns N' Roses shirt on. I just cut the sleeves off. I went down and I showed Chris Chambers, who's a producer here, who was in charge of the whole thing. Like, uh, so I think this is it. He's like, well, that's fine, but you know, you got to flip your shirt inside out because it's Guns N' Roses. We can't. I'm like, okay. Well, then it was just plain black. I'm like, well, this looks stupid. And then I uh, I saw Fergal painting himself because he was doing the body paint, and I just used some of Fergal's paint and I like splattered the word "fight" on my shirt. And that's how it kind of happened. Uh, the like grungy kind of look, which ended up transforming itself into the like the duct tape uh, shirt design that you of the have, shirt, KO, yeah, the shirt yeah. I have now. Uh, but that's basically how all that came about. And because I chose to be who I was, and Chris Chambers was taking the pictures and taking the footage, and he really liked the way it looked, and it just kind of snowballed into here I am stuck there. Like right? that's it. And now I made my debut looking like that. And that's and you. And it worked. It's me. It's and it's been me for several years. It's always been me. You know, mm-hmm. even when I was in a singlet, that wasn't really me. Like it was just a part of me. But I. This is how I feel comfortable. This is how I feel like I should be presented. So uh, you know, sticking to my guns and being myself is really what. Helped. When you have that confidence, it makes such a difference. Yeah. You know, I, I remember I had Regal on the show. We talked about Regal. He said that he never felt the same when he didn't get to wear his robe to mm-hmm. the ring. He said it didn't matter what it was, yeah. that made him feel yeah. very uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, and you have the same thing. I get it. Thing. It's a yeah. singlet. Yeah. 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 And it, it doesn't matter if, you know, oh, the shirt kind of conceals my gut a little or if any, or it just makes me look better. And mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. All it comes down to is because I've had people at, at one point, like when I was a, a bit smaller, I looked fine in the singlet. But in my head, that's the thing. Yeah, you look fine in the singlet. But you just look like any other guy. Yeah, it's not you. And I never wanted to be that. Right. You know? Where did you start coming up with the, like, I know it was fight, Steen, fight. It's fight, Owens, fight. It was kill, Steen, kill. Yeah, it I love that. Uh, yeah, it, it was originally kill, Steen, kill, and it was for a long time. But uh, I decided to change it because um, 
the school shooting in Connecticut happened. And it's a little heavy. Yeah. There was that. And also I remembered a specific incident where uh, somebody sent me a link to a YouTube video, like on Twitter, and I opened it. And it was basically this guy sitting there in his living room uh, playing my theme song and hitting himself in the head with, I think, a, maybe a beer can and started bleeding. And I guess – and, like, it, the video was just called Kill, Steam, Kill, something like that. And I was like, you know, that just doesn't – that creeped me out for one. And then the whole the school shooting happened, and I was like, you know, I don't feel right doing this anymore. So then I changed it to Fight, Steam, Fight. And, uh, you know, when I came here, I, I figured – fight owens fight works and uh so yeah that's that's how it happens it's a great kind of a catchphrase uh motto and and i'm i feel stupid asking this question now it was one of the my non-existent questions that i wanted to ask you was yeah. how did you come up with the last name owens obviously we got our answer uh yeah so uh i always said if i ever had a kid his name was going to be owen nice because i always this is the thing when, after owen passed i never heard anybody say anything bad about this guy he's one of those guys that no one ever said anything bad about you're right not only that but everybody who talks about him talks about him in such positive light and like as a happy guy and somebody who always tried to cheer other people up when they weren't happy and i remember thinking when i was younger well if i ever have a son i want that's who i I want him to be that way Mm. so uh when I, i met my wife and she got pregnant i told her look if it's a boy it's gotta be owen and she didn't mind it, but she wasn't completely sold on it. But then I showed her, literally showed her footage of Owen Hart, and she was like, "Oh yeah, he, you know, he seems sweet." And then she heard about the stories that everybody would tell about how much he cared about his family and all this stuff. And so we were on the right track. And then what really sealed it is we visited an apartment uh, for our first home as a family, you know, because at that point when she got pregnant, we still both live with our parents. Okay, we were kids, <laughs> crazy kids. Yeah. Uh, so we visited our uh, what would become our first apartment, and uh, when the person showing it to us was showing us the rooms, she goes, "This was the you know the people who lived here before you. This was their their son's bedroom, and on the door there was the the kid's name." And it was Owen. Oh wow! We were like it's that's it's it. a sign that sealed the deal there. Uh, so yeah, my my son's named after Owen Hart. And then when it was time for me to pick a name, uh, you know, I, I I sent a bunch of names out, and I sent a couple names that had Owens as a last name. I even tried to see if Owen could be a first name, but then uh, Triple H himself suggested, uh, you know, Owens as a last name is good. So we just needed a first name, and Triple H said, "Why don't we Why don't we just do Kevin?" Which obviously was fine with me, yeah. And you know that's how it came that's about, perfect, right? Yeah. And yet here you are on the verge of having probably the biggest match of your career, yeah. Because um, you talked about how you, know, you came to the performance in August, you debuted in December. Here we are in May, yep. six months later. You you know make this huge debut against the top guy in the company. Yeah. Did you know that you were going to be doing this? Was it one of those things you found out that day? Um, I found out a couple of days before that I was going to be on Raw. Uh, I found out that. Uh, maybe a couple of days before, actually, that uh, you know uh, it was going to be with John. And uh, one of the coolest parts of it is that uh, you know moving my family here wasn't an easy decision, and it wasn't easy for them. My wife was on board; she was going to do it. But you know, telling my son that, listen, you got to leave the kids, like your friends, behind. And you're going to go to a new school, and it's a little scary. How old is he? He's seven. Yeah, now. so he's got he was, little connections. Yeah. yeah. So he's going into first grade, and you know that was a bit scary. And also, he was very close with my parents and and my wife's family, and leaving everything all that behind. But part of the selling point was, well, one, we'll go, we'll get to go to Disney World a lot, <laughs> and two, um, 
he's a huge John Cena fan from the time he was four years old and wow. started watching wrestling. Huge John Cena fan. I told him, you know, and he would ask me sometimes. We'd go like I'd take him to WWE shows in Montreal, and he'd be like, "Well, how come you don't wrestle tonight?" And I'm like, ah, "I don't wrestle for this this place." He's like, "You you wrestle for Ring of Honor?" I'm like, yeah. Like, are you ever gonna wrestle for WWE? I'm like, I don't know, maybe. He's like, "You ever gonna wrestle John Cena?" I'm like, I don't know, buddy, maybe. And then uh, you know that was part of the selling plan. Like, hey, if we move to Florida and I, I get to wrestle for WWE one day, and you know maybe I'll wrestle John Cena one day. So he was like, "Oh, okay, cool." And here we are. And uh, actually, my wife, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but my wife recorded his reaction. You know, she just left the iPad running, and he didn't know he was being recorded. But he didn't know. He knew I was going to be on Raw, but he didn't know what I was doing. And when my music hit, uh, it's funny because you see him. He's sitting on our bed with his John Cena wrestling buddy because when he watches wrestling, he's all about <laughs> yeah, Cena. Yeah. And uh, he's watching John Cena talk. All of a sudden, my music hits, and he, like, he, he freaks out. He's like, oh, my God, he's wrestling John Cena? Oh, my God. And he puts, like, his hand over his mouth, and <laughs> it was so cool to see. Uh, it actually went viral. Like, it's a little 15-second clip on Instagram, but it, it was everywhere. Uh, it was actually on ESPN on SportsCenter. Oh, really? Yeah. So uh, that was that's part of what makes all this even cooler. Like, yeah, he's the top guy, and it's not a bad spot to start in, but uh, my it's, it, it's making my son's day. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's even, even yeah. more important, right? Yeah, it's it's a pretty crazy feeling. So, so what's your mindset? Like, you know, look, we talked about how it doesn't matter what you've done outside of these walls. Now you're in there. Huge spotlight because yeah. he's been doing the challenge. Guys come out. He wrestles them for five, ten minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, Zane did great. Yep. Neville did great. And even Ryder did great this yep. week. You didn't, even, you didn't even get that. Yours is going straight for the big, big time. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, I do feel like it doesn't matter what I've done before this mm -hmm. because – Nothing's been on this scale. Nothing's been on, with like this much uh, attention. Um, I, I feel like I handle pressure well, and there's a lot of pressure going into this. But uh, I have, I, I'm very confident in my abilities, and I think, uh, I think I'll knock it out of the park. And uh, I think we're gonna put put on something special. I really do, and I'm really excited. And you know, above all else, I can't wait to talk to my son after you know and see what he thought. <laughs> the, th the thing about it too, and this is something I think I think fans are starting to get it more now. But Cena is a great performer, yeah, and he's a great worker, and he's very unselfish, mm -hmm. you know. And I think sometimes he gets a bad rap for that. But even all these matches he's been having every week, you know, he's working with everybody, all these new guys, yeah. and and making them look good mm -hmm. you know and, and obviously they know how you know how to make yourself look good too so I, i'm actually really really excited about it I'm, i love the fact that you got the opportunity because that, that wouldn't happen a couple of years ago yeah i don't think so and you know i'm not even sure how it happened but uh you know i, I remember i was watching sammy you know i was back home in orlando when he came out in montreal to wrestle him and it was a very emotional night uh one because honestly i wish it could have been me Mm -hmm. but also because I've been with him through everything. And uh, I know that moment meant a lot to him. And, you know, our, our NXT story aside, uh, that was an incredible thing to see, you know. And uh, then I saw Neville the next week. And same thing. You know, I've known this guy for years. And John Cena is this generation's Hulk Hogan, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. So to, to see those guys do that. I couldn't help but think that's got to be me one day. And not, like, not only because I want it, because my, I want to do it for my son. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then lo and behold, a couple of days later, like, oh, by the way, it is you, but it's not going to be one one night on Raw. You're, this, you're, going, you're going to the 
pay-per-view yeah, or whatever yeah. you want to call special, it special whatever it's yeah like. when so, did you uh, find that out did you find out that monday or did you find out a couple of days before i found out a couple of days before okay yeah so, you knew. Yeah, so yeah. uh yeah we're we're off and running <laughs> did you get a chance to uh to talk to vince at all have you met him i did yeah i've talked to vince a little bit pretty mm-hmm. surreal experience um it's kind of intimidating the first time you meet him right yeah but <laughs> it, it, thankfully it wasn't the first time i met him like i had met him back in february when i went to raw raw i was gotcha. in orlando and i met him then you know and i got to say hi and everything but not a lot of interaction, but once, so once I met him now, once I, I got in there and spoke to him, you know, the little pleasantries were out of the way and I felt like now I could speak to him in terms of, okay, here's what, you know, what, what do you want out of us? You know? So, uh, yeah, he's intimidating figure, if anything, because I've been watching him for so long and he's the reason why I'm, you know, if you really go down to the root of it, the only reason I'm a wrestling fan is because he's had this company yeah. running for so long you know yeah Shawn michaels made me a fan originally but it was under vince's uh he you was, know umbrella yeah. so yeah. that's uh that's a pretty surreal experience to you know go into an office and talk to vince mcmahon let alone talk to vince mcmahon about what i'm doing on raw tonight <laughs> with the top leading guy. to the pay-per-view yeah, 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 yeah. So that was pretty cool oh man it's gonna be it's gonna be a great great uh, debut for you um last question if you uh if you could choose just one or two What's your favorite match that you've ever had? Um, I think my favorite match ever, I, you said choose one or two, so I think I'm going to have to choose two. There's one against this guy called Nigel McGinnis. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was in Ring of Honor in Toronto uh, back, I think, in 2008. Um, it was a really special night. He was the world champion at the time and uh, in front of you know Toronto crowd, and it was the first Ring of Honor show in Toronto, so the crowd was real hot, and it was uh, just really cool. Um, and you know, I have a lot of respect for Nigel McGuinness. Uh, so being in the ring with him, uh, was pretty special. And then, uh, I think my second one would have to be when Generico and I won the tag titles in ring of honor against, uh, S- Seth Rollins and Jimmy Jacobs. Back then he was Tyler Black. Uh, Generico may or may not be Sami Zayn. That's what he told me. That's what a lot of people. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, what a lot of people. Rumor is, mentioned, but we can't. We can't. I've actually uh, never seen him without. I never saw Generico without the mask throughout yeah, all those years. Say, so yeah. yeah, but uh, the fact he was reading Archie comics in the dressing room—that's <laughs> just a coincidence. Uh, it was, you know, it was just a special night. The crowd was on fire, and you know, we won the tag team titles, so that was a good night. So those two would probably be my favorite in terms of just like straight up matches and memories from matches but i feel like uh there's a lot of good ones coming you know and sunday uh it's probably gonna top the list there you go that's yeah. a, putting butts in the seats <laughs> it's owens versus cena on sunday elimination chamber pay-per-view only available on w network dude best of luck man thank you man i'm excited to see it appreciate it all right thanks to nxt champ kevin owens i like how his voice got a little bit high when he's like and then he didn't even know what he was going to do he got a little bit uh, a little bit excited there like balky from perfect strangers i'm really looking forward to seeing kevin owens versus john cena at the elimination chamber pay-per-view this sunday night only on the WWE network go get it now this is a match you are not going to want to miss like uh, like kevin said he's super excited about this match he's very very stoked about it and so am i and I'm also stoked to do this show for you for free for twice a week. Thanks to you guys for listening and for checking out my amazing sponsors, including Amazon. Easiest way to support the show. You know how to find my Amazon links. By now, you go to podcast1.com. You click on the support or show sponsors at the top of the page. Then you hit the talk is Jericho button. I got Amazon links for the U.S., the U.K., and the Canada. A. Whenever you buy anything using my Amazon links, Amazon kicks back a small percentage of the purchase to TIJ. You're not paying anything extra. There's no extra fees or hidden challenges. 
You get the same great Amazon prices and service. You help me out too. Speaking of helping you out, let me help you out by telling you about a cool new app you need to download. It's called the True Car app. It's the only app you need if you're looking to buy a new car. True Car will save you tons of time, tons of money, tons of, uh, of, of hassle. You get all rid of all that stuff. You don't need to waste that valuable weekend time going from dealership to dealership, searching for the perfect car for you. Why waste those valuable hours when you can just simply check out True Car and the True Car mobile app? In five minutes, you build the car you want, and also you find out what other people paid for it. Then with True Car, you lock in guaranteed savings, usually over three grand off MSRP. You get so many ways to spend the weekends, families, friends, Fozzie concerts, White Snake concerts, uh, going to your friends to watch a pay-per-view, whatever it may be, whatever you like to do, you don't need to waste time hunting for a car, all right? Let True Car and the True Car mobile app do the hard work for you. I know how much we need our cars. How are you going to get to work or school? How are you going to get to the WWE events or the Fozzie shows to see me, right? How are you going to do that? you got to have good, reliable transportation to take care of the business. You just don't have to spend hours and hours to find it, right? Get your weekends back. Get the car you want without overpaying. And never, ever, 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 ever overpay. Save time. Save money. Save us, Y2J. I can help you. Download the True Car app today. All right, we talked about the Fozzie shows. We got a few more dates this summer. June 25th, Valair Ballroom in Des Moines. June 26th, uh, that's at the Hard Rock Hotel with We Are Harlot. July 24th is, uh, is the Square in Kitchener, Ontario. That's a big festival. August 8th, Festival of Friends in Hamilton, Ontario. August 9th, Heavy Montreal in Montreal. Kiss Cruise, October 30th. Then the Cinderblock Party Tour resumes November 14th in Denmark. 18 dates already locked in for this European run. We'll be out there with Nonpoint Sumo Psycho. FozzyRock.com has all the dates, all the ticket information, and I would love to have you guys come out and rock with us. And I want to see you here next week. We're in the middle of the NHL playoffs. The Chicago Blackhawks are killing it. Whether they make it to the Stanley Cup Finals or not, check this out. I got the greatest, the greatest Chicago Blackhawk of all time is on the show next Wednesday. Also, the one of the greatest Winnipeg Jets of all time. I got Bobby Hall. That's right, the Golden Jet. One of my heroes when I was a kid is going to be here on Talk is Jericho. You are going to love this. He's got great stories. He's a great guy. I feel like a carnival barker. I want to see you guys next week. And I love you. I love to love you. And a big yeah boy. Just because you know that you're on the way out doesn't mean that you just have to you know, let these take you. You can you know, still enjoy life and really get there and make the most of it. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcastone.com. 